Good morning to you all. Um, I have, we've, we've been looking at Galatians last week and this week and then the next few weeks. Um, I'm just really excited about this book of the Bible. I think this is fascinating and amazing and in preparing um, these sermons has got me pretty energized. And, and so it's my prayer that that the Lord will speak to you all as well through the book of Galatians. And maybe you read along at home, um, meditate on it, um, see what the Lord's got in store. Because I mean, Paul's passion in here is amazing. His message is amazing. Um, and the implications for our lives is nothing short of incredible. And secondly, before we get going, there's, um, there's a guy in the passage we read, this in your Bibles, that Paul calls Cephas. He's talking about Peter. Um, most of y'all probably know that, but anyhow, in case you didn't, I always, I never figured that out. I meant to look up why Paul calls him Cephas, but I forgot to do that. So next week, um, you have to come back, find out why his name is Cephas in Galatians. Um, well, so just to, to, to update us, and, and, and while I'm bringing you up to speed, maybe if you've got a Bible or, or something with a Bible on it, you can pull that out. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Um, and what is happening here is Paul is writing a letter to a church he founded in modern-day Turkey that was known back then as Galatia. And he's writing this letter, and he is um, doing a few things. He's in a position now where he is having, first of all, to defend his authority as an apostle, and he is having to defend the gospel that he gave, that he presented the message of Jesus Christ that he gave to these churches. So uh, some folks have come in and said, you know, that Paul guy, you don't really know what he's talking about. He told you you need Jesus, and you do, you know, Jesus is good, you should believe in him, but he's not enough. You need Jesus, plus you need to follow the law. You need to essentially become Jewish. And so all of those ritual laws in the Old Testament, um, circumcision, dietary laws, um, all these things that you're supposed to do, these things that define somebody as Jewish as opposed to not Jewish or what we'll call Gentile. Um, if you believe in Jesus, that's great, but you have to do these things as well. And so what I call it is, um, is a Jesus plus theology, if you will. So... You have to do Jesus, you have to have Jesus, plus you have to do these other things. You have to have Jesus, plus you have to follow the law perfectly. And if you don't, it doesn't work. You're out. If you just have Jesus and you're not following the law, you're out. So Jesus plus. Now, Paul's gospel was not Jesus plus. Paul's gospel was Jesus, period. Jesus, period. You don't have to follow the law. You don't have to do everything the Old Testament says. You don't have to be perfect. You just need Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Now, when you follow Jesus, when you receive the love of Christ, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, your life is going to change. There are some things that you might be doing that you might need to start letting God show you how to stop. That, that's part of being a Christian. And, and none of us get all the way there until we die. But... Stopping doing certain things or starting doing other things doesn't save you. That's a Jesus plus theology. I'm a Jesus period guy. Paul is a Jesus period guy. You need Jesus. Period. 
So, these competing gospels. And so, what Paul's doing now in our passage today is he's, um, he's starting his defense. And we're basically going to see three things um, that Paul is, is defending himself with. And he says, first of all, I gave you a God-given gospel. The gospel I have preached, the gospel I have proclaimed, the good news I have offered to you is given to me by God himself. Secondly, the message, the gospel that I gave you is life-transforming. It's God-given, it's life-transforming, and thirdly, it is worship-inducing. When you get it, when you realize this from God, when you see the transformation in your life, you will just, you can't help but to worship Him. So, let's look at these. God-given gospel. Galatians chapter 1, we'll start at verse 11, and look at verse 12. Carrie's going to put it on the screen. Um, and you can look at your Bibles or, or whatever you like. Not anything. Something Bible-related. Um, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to lay this sort of timeline out for us in just a second. But basically what happened is Paul was converted by Jesus. I mean, he was literally knocked off his horse. He was blind for three days. He was heading to Damascus to do what? Anybody know? Persecute Christians. He didn't like Christians. He didn't want anything to do with them. He wanted to kill them. So he was heading off to do that. Jesus knocked him off his horse, appeared to him in a, a, a vision. And this is attested. I mean, the people around Paul saw him knocked off his horse. They heard something going on. Paul could see it and hear it clearly, and it was Jesus, and um, he was converted, just like that. You would think maybe you might want to go verify that, but Paul didn't. He went off into the desert, into Arabia. He prayed. He came back. He started talking about the gospel. Three whole years later, he went to see our friend Cephas. He went to see Peter told Peter what had happened. Peter said, hey, that's amazing. I had, you know, a similar sort of experience. I had a dream, and, and it was the gospel being proclaimed to a Gentile who wasn't Jewish. And so I get it, Paul. You're right. Peter said that. That's so important. Peter said, you're right. And then sometime later, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and he meets with everybody. And, and, and they thought Paul was so right that his gospel, his Jesus period gospel, was so right, and that it was the same one they were proclaiming, they wrote a letter. It's in Acts chapter 15. Go home and read it. They wrote a letter to the Galatians and said, you're on the right track. This message Paul has proclaimed to you is the right one. And so what we see then is Paul's gospel, and we call it Paul's gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is from God. It is God-given. Now, there are a couple of implications to this. If we, if we follow this line of thought all the way to its conclusion, there's, there's um, at least, what we'll talk about today, two implications. The first one's really hard. You're not going to like the first one. Sorry. The second one's really great. You're going to love that one. Okay, but you got to go through the first one to get to the second one. So just bear with me. The first implication of a God-given gospel is this. The Bible 
the Holy Scriptures are going to offend you. They are offensive. They're challenging. They're offensive. And that's really hard. Um, Back up a little bit. Paul was given this message from God. His proclamation was from God himself. Now, um, what we recognize as the church is that God was revealing himself um, to these apostles, but through the apostles, he was also revealing himself in Scripture, okay? And so we have the Old Testament, and for the apostles, the Old Testament was the Word of God. It was the revelation of God, and they started writing these letters like Galatians based on the Old Testament, and based on their experience of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit inspired them, and then the church um, recognized the letters that they wrote, beginning, very first one that anybody wrote is Galatians, that this was the Word of God. This is the revelation of God to us. And so when we um, read our scriptures, uh, we, we, in church, we title it like this. A reading from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia and to Christians everywhere throughout time this is a message from god to us okay so you got a god a holy god if you will over on this hand giving us holy holy scriptures and you've got a a, a sinful people over here on this hand who are most definitely not god and as hard as they might try they're not holy either these things are going to come into conflict There's going to be something in here that you might find offensive or at the very least challenging. Something you don't want to hear, something you don't want to submit to. And and every single person in this room has something like that. It's a lot easy to point fingers and say they need to read that passage of the Bible. That's really easy to do. But you've got your own things. You've got your own stuff. Some of you, um, you're going to be offended by the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. You can't escape that. When you read the Bible, it's pretty clear that Jesus Christ is the way to know God. That salvation is through Jesus Christ. And that's, that can be really offensive. Some of us are going to be challenged by the Bible's call to sexual holiness. And that, I mean, that is a big deal. It includes what you do. But it also includes what you look at and what you read. That's, that's challenging and it's hard, and some people don't want to hear it. It can be offensive. Jesus um, is, calls us to be pretty radical with our money. He wants us to give it all away. He wants us to give it away for His glory, but He wants us to be, to, to be very generous. That can be offensive. Some people will say, well, the church is always talking about money. Does that offend you? Why? Why? Jesus calls us to be pretty radical towards those who um, have less than us, those who are, who, are, who, are, who are poor, who are in need. He calls us to be radical in terms of, of racial equality even. That there's no black and white in the gospel. There's no Jew or Gentile. He, it's, it's, this, um, it's a gospel for everybody. And some people are going to find that offensive. Now, our first instinct um, is to do what? Is to start to justify ourselves, right? We like to justify ourselves. And so, um, parents, 
the Bible's pretty clear that um, you are going to be the most effective ones, the, 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 the ones who are, who are called, who've been given this mission by God, to teach them about Jesus Christ. The Bible's absolutely clear about that. Now, you're going to start saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a great idea, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. You're start, you see that? You're starting to justify yourselves. It doesn't say, teach them if you know about it. It says, teach them. You can't, we, we want to justify ourselves or with money. Like, well, that's a nice idea, Jesus, to be, be so generous with my money. But, but what, if, um, what if I need it? I need to save up in case there's an, an emergency or, or, or a huge catastrophe. I'm going to need this. If I get all of that saved up, then I can be more generous. Justifying yourself. Or, you know, in this area, again, of sexual purity. And maybe this is a word for you, um, teenagers, or all of us, really. But, but we say, oh, well, God, yeah, the Bible says we're supposed to wait till, till marriage? That's so old-fashioned. That can't possibly apply to us today. Paul is so naive. You're justifying yourself. You're justifying yourself. And so, we come to God's revelation, to the message of God from God himself, um, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and we, we want to pick the ones that we want to submit to and, and not pick the ones we, we don't want to submit to, and, and, or, or some folks just leave Christianity at the door and say, I don't want anything to do with that. I would say this, though. Ask yourself this one question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and God raised him from the dead? Do you believe that? Okay. If you believe that, and I'm glad you believe it, me too. If you believe that, then you've got to deal with every single word in this book. We read a story in our gospel this morning about somebody else who was raised from the dead. That didn't last. He died again. There's only one person in the history of the world to be raised from the dead, never to die again. And if that is true, then everything he said, everything he did, everything he's given with us has to have authority over our lives. Now, some things are hard, some things are challenging, some things um, are one way in the Old Testament, and Jesus transforms them into the New Testament. We have to deal with that. But if we all believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, guess what? We can deal with these things together. I'm offended by one thing, you're offended by something else, but, but we both believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Why don't we help each other out? Why don't we work through this and walk through this together so that we can help each other submit to the authority of God? That's the hard point. The easy point is this. There's all sorts of great things in here. That Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he's forgiven you. And if you believe he's been raised from the dead, those things are rock solid. Rock solid. You can hang on to that through your doubts, through your sufferings, through your struggles, through the, the lowest points of your life where you can't see the end and you can know beyond a power of a doubt that Jesus Christ loves you, that he died for you, 
that he has forgiven you. Why? Can you see why this was so important to Paul, that his message was God-given, not man-made? If it's man-made, it begins to look like whatever we want want it to look like. But if it's God-given, and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, well, it's life-transforming, which is our second point. Verses 13 to 17. This is Paul speaking. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I immediately did not consult with anyone. And he goes on how he went, he goes on to his timeline. But, but this, is, this is a message of transformation. Paul was, was persecuting the church. If you, you read the account in Acts of, of Stephen, the first martyr, he was stoned, and Saul was his name then. Paul was there watching him and approving it. Paul was going to Damascus to kill Christians. Paul was successful. He was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. He was upwardly mobile, if you will. He was doing very well for himself. And then he met Jesus Christ, and his life was transformed. His life was transformed. And we see, we see a couple of things here. Um, even in Paul's story, we see the gospel, the message of God, the message of salvation. Um, where am I? Paul was not, there's nothing Paul did to make Jesus reveal himself. There's nothing Paul did to save himself. Jesus Christ just came to him. And it's, it's really striking. I mentioned this, uh, if, I don't think any of you were there. Maybe you were. In the church, historic church building last week, um, well, let's see. Where should I start? I've, my kids are learning to read. And uh, Susanna brings home these fascinating books, great plot lines, um, See the cat. The cat runs. That is fascinating. And the cat's apparently pretty fast. So she brings home these books, um, and, and, and they're simple, so I can kind of understand what's going on. Tyler's in second grade, and he's talking about crazy stuff like subjects and verbs. And then I can start to get it. That, that every sentence has a verb and a subject. Y'all tracking? Some of y'all aren't tracking. Go back to second grade. Every sentence has a subject and a verb. The subject does the action of the verb, okay? So if, um, if Tyler runs, runs is the verb, Tyler is the subject. So this is fascinating. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. This is much more complicated than a baggy book, but anyway. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Listen for the subjects, okay? How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is the subject of his verbs. Moving on, verse 15. Who's the subject now? But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. The subject of the verbs of salvation is Jesus Christ. It's not you. 
the gospel that transformed Paul's life was this realization that Jesus is the subject of the verb. That it's not about what you do or what laws you follow or who you obey. It's that Jesus Christ died on a cross and God raised him from the dead for your salvation and my salvation. That one day we might share in his glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ is the subject of the verb. You're not, you don't get to be the subject of those verbs. When we get to chapter 5 and 6 and we start talking about the Holy Spirit, you, you get to kind of share in the subject part of the verb. But, but right now, this message of salvation, this message of life transformation, Jesus Christ is the subject. And so Paul's um, authority... And Paul, the, mess, the power of Paul's gospel, he roots in his transformation. The second thing to think about is we can root that same gospel power in our own transformation. Um, one, of our, one of the big things that we feel very strongly about here at St. Paul's is that we are called to proclaim the gospel in Somerville, to impact the world in Jesus' name. It means we do it um, through words and action. And some of you hear that and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, that sounds really scary. What are they going to say to me? What if they have a lot of questions that I can't answer? How am I going to proclaim the gospel? How are you going to proclaim it? You proclaim your story. How has Jesus Christ, how has the Holy Spirit changed your life? Some of you have incredible stories. I was an alcoholic. I met Jesus Christ. Look at my life now. I was broke. I met Jesus Christ. He transformed my life, and now I have hope. Amazing stories of transformation. Some of you, maybe you're like me, and you're like, well, my story's not that amazing. I, have I, always, I think I've always known Jesus. Or I met him through a friend, and my friend brought me to church a few times, but, but there wasn't like a moment when my life changed, but those stories are just as powerful. When has Jesus Christ given you hope? When have you thought your world was collapsing around you and yet somehow you, you, you knew that Jesus was with you in the midst of it? My story is basically this. My daughter had eye cancer. The only way I got through that was through the hope of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story, but it's not like drop down, knock you off your horse road to Damascus. But here's the deal. Nobody can argue with that. You can say, yeah, I, ha I have a lot of peace because of Jesus Christ. No, you don't. You don't have any peace. Well, I, I do. No, you don't. They can't argue with that. There is no argument for your story, which is a testimony to the power of God in your life. That's Paul's point. He says, look at me. You have to see that this gospel is for real. Look at my life. Finally. The very last line in this passage says this, And they glorified God because of me. The apostles in Jerusalem have yet to meet Paul except for Peter, um, but they've heard stories of, say, for instance, this church in Galatia. They've heard stories that Paul used to be persecuting Christians, and now he's helping them and serving them and proclaiming the Christian message. They've, they've heard these stories, and what did they do? They worshipped God. They praised God. They glorified God because of Paul. This gospel, this God-given gospel, this life-transforming gospel can do nothing 
other than drive us to worship of God because of what He's done for us. And so we come here on Sunday mornings and we praise Him and we worship Him and we receive His sacrament. But we worship Him every day out there in the world through, through our actions, at our work, at our homes. You're worshiping God because of the power of His gospel. Do you know that God? That God who's given us His Son, Jesus Christ, that God who changes lives, that God who invites us to worship Him, do you know Him? Do you know Him in all aspects of your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for those who know You. I pray that your gospel power through the Holy Spirit would continue to strengthen them and transform them and, and, and draw them closer to you. And I, and I pray, Lord, for those who maybe don't know you, who are hearing this Jesus period gospel for the very first time, or who are realizing it for the very first time. And I pray that you would touch them, that your Holy Spirit would come upon them. And, and if it doesn't happen today, maybe tomorrow, or maybe next week, or maybe next year, but I, I pray, Lord, that you have planted that seed in their life of transformation, that they too would one day have a story that I was like this and I met Jesus and now look at me. We ask this, all of this through, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the glory of God the Father and by the grace of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.